happy. Uh, my heart is overjoyed to see some of you coming. Um, people I haven't seen in a while, so it's good to see all of you here and then those that are, that are still watching. Uh, welcome here also. Uh, let me just, we, we have uh, a handful of prayer updates, but let me just give you a, a brief update, kind of a, a state of the church. Um, we don't really have much, so it's not much in terms of an update. Um, I know many of you are asking, well, when are we gonna start meeting again? And I know what you mean. You mean when are we gonna be back over in the sanctuary? But, but honestly, we are meeting still. We are doing all that we're uh, required to do here by, by the state and in terms of precautions, we're trying to be wise. And so we are meeting, we are gathering together. And so um, if you miss the gathering and you're comfortable, please come join us and um, we, we'd love to have you. Uh, I, I don't envision things changing anytime in the near future um, in terms of even thinking about Awana ministries and the fall ministries or Sunday schools. Um, it, it's just, there, there's just so many things that, that we can't do right now because of all of the, I don't know, the fear, legitimate, illegitimate, the, the precautions, the, the things. Uh, in fact, our governor just this past week said that, that our area has been kind of, um, had some arise in cases. And so he made some, some limitations. Doesn't affect us, but, but again, we, we just don't know. Um, and so like fellowship dinners, I miss those and I want to do those again, um, but I don't know. I, I'm not going to, to schedule things that, that are gonna put some of our people in jeopardy. Um, so, so I'm just trying to be wise, so be patient. It's, it's hard, I've never pastored through something like this. Um, thankfully I haven't and hopefully I never will again. But that's, that's kind of where we are. Um, yeah, some decisions have to start being made about, about things going forward and so um, we are gonna plan, so if whatever the fall looks like, there will be a change by then. So we will decide on things that we can do to try and uh, meet in different ways uh, in, in September. So, so that will definitely be coming, but, but don't really know what that's gonna look like. Um, so in terms of, of prayer updates, it, it seems like, um, and you guys know this, it seems like every week there's, there's more things happening. It's like wave after wave is crashing over us. Um, and so Francis Hartman, um, she is home, she's on hospice care. Her daughters are, are still caring for her, but, but Francis isn't doing well. Um, and so if you want to, to visit her, just let Cindy know. I can give you Cindy's number. They'd love for you to, to visit with her, but, but Francis just can't, can't get her strength. She's still from the stroke that she had and then the pneumonia, she's just, not, she's just not getting better. And so at the hospital, they wouldn't send her to a rehab. They sent her back home on hospice care. And so, um, yeah, so, so that's been a... a um, yeah, that's been a tough situation. The Wayne and Glenda Sawyer, um, their daughter Sarah is she she was admitted in the hospital. She was um, just clearly something. I don't remember if it was unconscious, but she was just unresponsive, and so they took her to the ER, and and so they her temperature was really high, and they didn't know what the cause was. She's been in the hospital, and they're they're slowly they have the temperature regulated, and she is now waking up. Um, she's still a little dazed, but. Um, they, they've done lots of tests, they've eliminated a lot of possibilities, but she's still, last I heard from Glenda, still recovering there. Um, and and the, the thorns, so Hoagie and Cindy, we still pray with them for Jason. Uh, it seems like last week there was, when, when, when I get an email that's saying, miracle in all caps, I think, praise God. So there are positives, uh, but Jason still has a long way to come. And obviously we still want Hoagie and Cindy to go be with their son. And so join with me and them in praying for a way for them to get to see Jason, uh, yeah, we're, we're just asking God to, to do that and helping them to trust him in the midst. And, and so um, we're gonna keep praying for Jason. Joe Benthal had a surgery and he's doing well. I talked to Dot yesterday and he is doing better. So that, that was good news. He had that surgery. Um, I got a call last night. John Zug was admitted to the hospital, to the ER last night. He had some chest pain and, and 
So, so Terry called, the, the ambulance came and took him in, and it, it was a mild heart attack, but, but he, had, he was doing better when I talked to her later last night. Um, they're gonna keep him overnight, um, but, but pray for John and Terry. And then yesterday, Brandy Sheffield's grandfather. So Brandy's been, been kind of the primary caregiver for her grandfather, who's Susan Ball's father um, for, uh, for months, if not longer, but, but he passed away yesterday morning also. And so Brandy... Um, Barrett and Ellie, and then Susan also. So we're gonna pray for them. So again, there's, there's things that are coming. I mean, th- this pandemic doesn't slow down the, the effects of sin and tragedy. And so who knows what this coming week will hold, um, but the Lord is with us. He will be with us, whatever happens. Um, and so my, my self-counsel is trust the Lord, keep trusting him. He's faithful, he's good. Um, and so I would encourage you all to do the same, regardless of what comes. The Lord is with us um, and will sustain us. Um, so there's a lot going on, um, but I want to read, uh, I want to read a whole chapter this morning before I pray. I mean, it's a chapter that I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's just going to be good. I read it this morning. I thought this is what, what we're going to read together. And so it's all of Hebrews chapter 11. So it's the, the hall of faith, some, some call. Uh, and so just, just listen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there and follow along. But um, I just want to, to give ourselves to the public reading of God's word. So it's a, it's a larger section, but but I think this is such an encouragement. And I'm actually gonna read a few verses into chapter 12. Um, but let's, let's listen together uh, to God's word, beginning in, in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse one. So the author of Hebrews writes, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For, if, for by it, people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Forever who would draw, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he con- condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar as having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they, were, that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to, to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, 
from which, figuratively, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, and he gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the, with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and he sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were cut in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They went about wandering in deserts and mountains, in the dens and caves of the earth. And all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's, let's pray together. Father, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Let us run together. Let us run as brothers and sisters on the same course, running the same race. Let us Father, lay aside every weight and sin which, which we confess clings so closely. Let us lay aside everything that, that would impede our running, everything which intends to prevent us from finishing our race. Thank you for the cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by, both here with us now, even in this room, part of our church, but also those who have gone before us who are now with you. Lord, thank you for the, the hall of faith that is lined with men and women who are not great in and of themselves, but who are examples of what trusting you looks like. And so may we as your people here now live by faith, looking forward to the reward that awaits us, to the city that awaits us, the kingdom that is coming. May we live as your people by faith, confident in what you've promised, confident in what awaits us.
Father, we confess that we are easily distracted. We confess that we are fickle people, that we're prone to wandering in the wilderness and prone to unbelief and doubting your ability to bring to pass what you've promised. And so, Lord, help us, we believe, help our unbelief. You are the faithful one. You are the one who makes and keeps promises. You are the one who's able to save completely. You're the one who's able to save to the uttermost. You're the one who's able to keep us from stumbling. You are the one who will and does hold us fast. Lord, we are weak, but you are the one who is strong. And so God, we pray that you would keep us, that you'd protect us, that you'd provide for us, that you'd care for us, that you'd be near for us. We confess this morning that you are our God and we are your people. And so we want to pray for those of our body who are suffering. We pray for, the, for Sarah Davis, for Wayne and Glenda. We pray for continued recovery. We pray that she, her body would continue to fight whatever is plaguing it, that she would continue to, to wake up and, and recover. We pray for Frances Hartman. Lord, we thank you that, that as a dear saint, she is ready to be with you. So I pray for us, for her daughters. Lord, would you give us comfort and peace knowing that your daughter will be with you soon. Thank you for the hope that comes in knowing that, that she is yours. Lord, we, we continue to pray for Jason Thorne. We pray for a miracle. We pray for rapid recovery that would astound doctors and medical personnel and nurses. We pray, Lord, that he would recover and all the damage would be minimal and that, that, that he would be restored. And Lord, we pray that, that Hoagie and Cindy would be able, even this week, Lord, we pray they wouldn't be with us next week, that they might be with Jason we know that you're able to open doors and so we are praying with faith that you would do that for them. Would you keep them in their trust, keep them faithfully trusting you. Lord, we thank you for Joe Benthal and the, the, the ability that he had to finally have his surgery. Thank you that his recovery is now doing better. We pray for John Zug, even now he's in Centero. We pray for the test and all the, the things that they would come back negative, that, that there wouldn't be any further treatment for him. Thank you that he was able to get to the hospital and, and avoid any further damage. Lord, we pray for Brandy and Susan Ball. We pray for the, the family as, as they're mourning the loss of a grandfather. Pray for Barrett and Ellie. Lord, I pray that you'd be near to them, that you'd comfort them. Lord, we pray for the widows of our church who are lonely. Lord, especially now in the midst of this, they, they are lonely. Lord, I pray for them. Be near to them. Give them fellowship in whatever way you're able Lord, we pray for our church family. We pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom, for decisions that must be made. Give clarity, give insight. Pray for unity for our church family. We pray for Mayor Tuck. Pray for Governor Northam. We pray for Senators Kane and Warner. We pray for President Trump. We pray for these leaders that you've put over us. Help us to honor and respect these men. Give them wisdom to lead. Protect their families. Guard them from unfaithfulness. Guard them from evil. Lord, I pray for the presidential election coming up in November. Lord, keep us from hoping in any president. Guard us from idolizing any political party or any po political stance. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us as your people be grateful that we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Lord, we confess this, this earthly nation, this country, this kingdom that we're currently citizens of, it is going to perish it will fall away. You've not promised to keep America. You haven't promised to cause it to prevail against the gates of hell. And so we hope not in America, but in your kingdom. And we pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so even now, Lord, we long for the day when Christ returns to be with us, to rule over us as Lord and King. We long for that day. It can't come quickly enough. And so even now we pray as your people eager for his return, we pray 
Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are waiting and ready for you to make everything right. And so come quickly. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I hope that chapter was encouraging. That was Hebrews 11. It's an encouraging, the hall of faith. Um, Great encouragement. But so this week we are continuing um, our our study, and it is near the end, uh, the end of our study on the Holy Spirit. So this is week 14. And so you you can go back and you can look on our Facebook page or our website. You can access all 14 of these sermons. Um, and so we're almost done. But, but this week, last week, we started with, with a, a kind of a broad look at the spiritual gifts. And so this week, we are going to look more, more specifically at the spiritual gifts. And so last week, uh, if you weren't with us or if you were with us by way of reminder, we, we defined spiritual gifts as, quote, gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. Okay, so, so we looked at that last week and we made, made, made three major points uh, from that or building that definition, simply that they're, they're given by the Spirit, the source of every gift is, is spiritual and that the Holy Spirit is the source, they're gifts and that they're freely given, they're, they're from the Spirit, given to us freely by grace, God's grace, and then their purpose or design, and you see the last part of the definition, the edification of the church. Every spiritual gift is given for the common good of the body. Okay, so those are kind of the three points, spiritual gifts for the good of the body. And so we closed last week recognizing that every single Christian, bar none, every single Christian is uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit for serving the body of Christ. We saw that. And so if you're a Christian, I told you, you are called and gifted to serve in the body. Now, if you're a member of this church, this is the body you're supposed to serve in. If you're a member of another church, that's the body you're supposed to serve in. But every Christian Just like the the Holy Spirit is the possession of every Christian, with him also comes a gift that is given to every Christian for the good of the church. And we talked about a a severed body part is not beneficial and uh, a body part that doesn't function within the context of the body is useless. And so that's the case with a Christian who's not functioning in a local body. So every Christian is uniquely gifted for serving the body of Christ. And so that was last week, but so, so my, my aim this week, as we look kind of more in depth, is for everyone here, everyone watching, to either consider anew what ways you might use your gifts to serve the body. Maybe you just need to reconsider what, what, are, what are the gifts I've been given for the good of this body, or maybe it's for you for the first time to begin thinking about what gifts you've been given. How has God gifted you? It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. If you've never considered, what are my gifts? How can I serve the church? May today be the day that you do that. And so we're gonna look at closely at the specifics of what the Bible talks about or what it means when it talks about spiritual gifts. And I'm, I'm gonna give you the outline in just a minute, but first, I'm gonna set the stage by highlighting and emphasizing something that, that I mentioned last week, but I just wanna give more attention to it now. And since it didn't fit nicely into the outline, I just figured I'd just, I'd just throw it at the beginning. Okay, so this is like a pre-outline tip or point. Um, so I guess that makes it part of the outline, so, so take that as, as you will. But if you remember the definition, we just looked at gift of, gifts of grace granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. One of the main things I emphasized was, was the building up of the body. Okay, that, I, I emphasize that scripture makes very clear the primary purpose of gifts it is for the building up of the body. They are others focused. And so look at 
uh, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter is sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14, which are chock full of spiritual gift discussion. And 13 is right in the middle, not coincidentally. And so to set the stage for today here at the outset, I just want to make two points very clear. First, spiritual gifts are for the good of the body. Okay, I can't say that enough. Spiritual gifts are for the good of the body or for the edification of the body. First point. Second point, spiritual gifts are useless without love. Spiritual gifts are useless without love, without love being the, the primary motivating factor. Okay, so those are the truth, tr- two truths for the good of the body and to be used with love. And I think understanding these two truths help set the stage for our thinking about gifts and, and as we consider our pursuit of them. These must govern our pursuit. If, if the primary concern of my pursuit of spiritual gifts is the good of the church, the, the building up of others, and, and, and a heart of love, which is gonna be the case, if I, if I wanna build up the church, I'm, I'm likely moving forward out of a heart of love. If, if those things are true, if I'm asking, how, how can I serve this body? How can I encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ? What, what can I do to bear the load, the burden here in this body? If you're asking those questions, you're on the right track. And so let those two questions set the path. And so, so that shapes how we think about spiritual gifts. And so when it comes to spiritual gifts, you often have people who come down pretty strongly on one of two sides. And so they'll either say on one side, natural gifts can't be spiritual gifts, right? It's not something that is, comes natural to you or else it's not from the spirit. So they'll either say that or they'll say every natural gift is a spiritual gift because God's the author of every gift and it's a natural gift and it's from God. Right, do you see how there's, there's these two extreme views on, on how to think about natural gifts? And so what I want to say, in light of what, what I just laid out, those two truths, is that there can certainly be overlap between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. And so the question isn't what is a natural gift and what's a spiritual gift. The question is, how am I building up the church and loving others with this gift? Whether it's natural or spiritual, how am I using this gift to build up the body and to love others? You see how that's a different question. So don't say, well, is it natural? Is it spiritual? I don't know. I can't tell. Right? You say, okay, how, how is this gift being used to build up the body or to love my brothers and sisters? It's a, that's a different question. That shapes how you view your pursuit of spiritual gifts. And so in discussions regarding spiritual gifts, the emphasis shouldn't primarily be on function, on what I do. The emphasis should be on the nature of my functioning. How am I functioning? In other words, I don't care as much about what you do as much as I care about how you do it that that ought to drive how you function. It's the heart and the intent behind it. And so that's why those two truths about building up the body in a heart of love are crucial. In fact, they, they simplify this whole discussion, in my opinion, so that spiritual gifts don't have to be confusing or controversial. And so, so for instance, a test case would be the ability to sing well. And so if, so, if someone is a great singer, so, so say there's someone who's a non-Christian, they're a great singer, and they come to Christ, and they can still sing really well. Is that a spiritual gift or is it not? Is it a natural ability or a spiritual gift? Right, so, so they could sing well, then they receive the Spirit, they can still sing well. Did the Spirit give them that ability to sing? How, how do we think about that? What I'm arguing is that a spiritual gift is not primarily determined merely by ability. A spiritual gift is determined by, by motivation, intent, and how it functions, so that a natural ability, singing for instance, it, it can be used selfishly. Someone can say, I'm a great singer. I want everyone to to hear how good I am. And and when you selfishly, it's never a spiritual gift, ever. God would never give someone the ability to sing in order to make themselves look well. 
And let's not be deceived. The, spirit, uh, the, the ability to sing well can be used selfishly even in the context of a local church. That's possible to use a, a natural gift selfishly for the building up of the individual. But spiritual gifts are never for the building up of the individual. Natural ability used selfishly for one's own benefit is never a spiritual gift. But on the other hand, natural ability, singing, for instance, when used for building up the church aimed at loving and benefiting others can be and almost certainly is in the realm of a spiritual gift. A natural ability, even singing, when it's used, when it's functioning for the benefit of the body and to love brothers and sisters, that, that why wouldn't that be a spiritual gift? Remember, used for the good of the body, used for to love others. And so that's why understanding the big picture of spiritual gifts, understanding their nature and purpose helps us in turn think about specifics. It, it helps us not to get lost in the weeds. And so this discussion, I'll say again, doesn't have to be overly complicated. And so one question for you to be considering in the midst of today's sermon and after as you go home, here's your homework. I, I just want you to ask yourselves, what am I naturally gifted at? What, what, what do I enjoy doing? Now, what are things that, 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 that I find I'm able to do well and enjoy doing, whether it's working with kids or maybe it's finances, you, you love crunching numbers, or maybe it's just fixing things. Maybe it's making food, maybe it's teaching, maybe it's being overly generous, maybe it's financial generosity, or maybe it's any of the things that we're gonna see listed here in a second from the New Testament. But I just want you to ask, what are you doing or what do you enjoy doing? And then once you recognize some of those things, I, I, I'd say that it's likely that, that maybe some of those, one of those is, is your spiritual gift. So once you recognize those things, the next question is, is there a way for me to use that, whatever it is, is there a way for me to use that for the good of this church or for the good of the church that I'm a member of? Is there a way for me to use that thing to serve and love the church and its people? Okay, so once you identify some of those specific ways, and then you, you, you identify your gifts or you consider what you're gifted at, you're, you identify ways that you could use them, all that's left to do is just pursue them. Just start getting to work. In fact, we'll come back to this later, um, but, but if I were to write a book on pursuing your spiritual gifts, it, it would be a, a really short book with, with just three chapters or three steps. Step one, so, so here it is, this is free. I, I won't even charge you for this. You wanna uncover your spiritual gifts? Step one, recognize, think about what are your gifts. That's chapter one, one sentence. Chapter two, step two, consider how to serve the church with those gifts. One sentence. Chapter three, step three, pursue those avenues of service. End of book. Recognize, consider, pursue. And like I said, we'll come back to that at the end, but, but that's a simple way to uncover your spiritual gifts. And I think it's pretty foolproof, as I'll say in a little bit. And so I'm not opposed to the idea that there can be overlap between natural gifts and spiritual gifts. I, I, that's not the burden, that, that, that's not the point that I'm driving at. I'm opposed to the idea that anything could ever be considered a spiritual gift that doesn't build up the body and proceed from a heart of love. Because that, that's the point, the purpose of every spiritual gift. It's given explicitly to be used with love for the good of the body. Okay, so that, that's your pre-outline point. Now let's look at the outline. Look at the lists of gifts first. Then second, we'll look at the limits of gifts. And then third, we'll look at the pursuit and use of gifts where we'll, we'll revisit my, my equation or my, my process. 
Okay, so let's start there with the lists of gifts. And so as we consider spiritual gifts, any discussion, any book, any, any class you've ever done, any sermon you've listened to, uh, all discussion on spiritual gifts is, is, gonna, is gonna center around three, at least three, probably four New Testament passages. Okay, and so, so we're just gonna walk through, I'm gonna read these passages for you. We're gonna look at Paul's listing of the spiritual gifts in the New Testament. Uh, but before we do, I, I just want to make clear that no four of these gifts, gift lists are identical. Now, now we're, we're gonna see overlap. Some of the gifts are listed multiple times, but every New Testament list of spiritual gifts is different. Okay, now that tells us that none of these lists are comprehensive. Okay, so, so we can't say, well, look, look here, here's all the gifts from, from 1 Corinthians 12, or this other part of 1 Corinthians 12, or, or, or Romans 12. Here's the comprehensive lists. None of them are comprehensive because they're all different. And the main point of these passages, especially two of them in, in, in the letter of the 1 Corinthians, Two of those passages are, are simply included to highlight the diversity of gifts. And so Paul says, hey, I'm gonna show you how, how there's so many different gifts. There's a variety of gifts. And so he just lists some. He, he's not obligated to list every single gift, so he doesn't. So we don't need to look at them and say, okay, if I, if I wanna know my spiritual gift, I better, I better find one in the New Testament because I, think it's, I don't think it's out of, out of bounds to say that there are spiritual gifts that are not included in the New Testament. That's why we started where we did, right? From a heart of love for the edification of the church. Right, that is the baseline. And so, so singing, you won't find singing listed as a spiritual gift, but I think it could certainly be a spiritual gift. And so I don't think it's unrealistic to say that not every spiritual gift is listed in the New Testament. So these lists do list a lot of spiritual gifts and we're gonna walk through them. But at the outset, let me just make clear, I don't think if you don't see a gift here, they're like, I think that's mine, don't, don't be discouraged. Remember, remember the, the two basic truths. Well, let's, let's walk through this. So first one is, is 1 Corinthians 12. And, and the gifts are specifically listed in verses seven through 10. I'm gonna, I'm gonna begin reading in verse four of 1 Corinthians 12. But, but you, if you're taking notes, it's just verses seven through 10. So here's Paul, 1 Corinthians 12. I'll read in verse four. He writes, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse seven, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. To another, faith by the same spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Okay, and so there in the 1 Corinthians 12, verses eight through 10, right, and we list them, just go down in order. I'm just gonna mark them off. Um, later, we'll, we'll compile all of them and we'll have kind of a master list, but you have utterance of wisdom, you have utterance of knowledge, you have faith, you have healing, you have miracles, you have prophecy, you have the ability to distinguish between spirits. You have various kinds of tongues and you have interpretation of tongues. Okay, so, so those are the lists. Those are the gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, eight through 10. Okay, we're gonna put them all together in a minute. Like I said, now we're just kind of cataloging them. Next passage, 1 Corinthians 12, same chapter, later in the chapter, verse 28, Paul says, I'm gonna pick up in verse 27, but verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12 is, is where this next list is, but verse 27, he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. And God has appointed in the church 
First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Verse 29, to make his point, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? Again, rhetorical questions, no. There are different gifts, and each one has unique gifts. But here in this list, we have the apostles, we have the prophets, which again, we, we had prophecy earlier in, the, in, the, in earlier in chapter 12, so that's the second mention of prophets or prophecy. Then we have teachers, we have miracles, again, which is a, a second time we see that. We have healing, Again, a second time we've seen that. We have helping, administrating, and then we have various kinds of tongues, which again is mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 12. So there's all the 1 Corinthians 12, the two lists there. Next, we have Romans 12. So, so again, you want the list, just think the number 12. It's 1 Corinthians and Romans. So Romans 12, here, here's how Paul lays it out here. Verses six through eight of Romans 12. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now here's verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us use it in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so we have another list there. We have prophecy again. This is the third time. We have teaching a second time that's mentioned. We have exhortation. We have service. This is the second time. We have leading, we have giving, and we have mercy. And then the final passage, this one isn't always included, but I think it does fit here. But Ephesians 4 where there's kind of this overlap between office and gift. And so some people say, you know, these are just established offices, but they're not gifts, but, but I think there's certainly overlap. So Ephesians 4, verse 11, Paul writes, and he gave, so this is the context, Christ has ascended and distributed gifts. And, in, and Paul continues, verse 11, and Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers in order to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And so while these are often considered more leadership positions than gifts, they still fall under the category of spiritual gifts. So you have apostles, that's the second time there. You have prophets, and now this is the fourth time we have either prophets or prophecy mentioned. Then we have evangelists, and then we have the pastor's teachers, which is the third time that that teaching is mentioned. And so those are the four categories. You have 1 Corinthians 2 2 lists in 1 Corinthians 12. You have Romans 12, and then you have Ephesians 4. And so looking at those, I'm going to combine them into one master list, okay? And I'm not doing this so that you can have a list to choose from, but in order for us to just get a big picture of the the specific gifts that Paul lists in the New Testament church, okay? And so so here are the lists in no particular order. So first we have teaching. So this is like the master list. I don't know if I have a slide of this, but, but so you have teaching. Now under this list, I'm including the first two gifts that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, And so if you remember the the utterance of wisdom and the utterance of knowledge, I understand those to be under the realm of teaching. I think that's Paul's intent there. I think he understands utterance of wisdom and knowledge to be teaching. Now, I could be wrong. I know many people separate those out and divine them very specifically. So they would say, here's what what utterance of wisdom is. Here's what utterance of knowledge is. I I see those best understood as as just a subset or a category, different way of, of describing teaching mainly because teaching is in every other list. 
And so in every list, teaching plays a primary role. And it appears to be one of the most important or significant gifts. And, and so here in the 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 passage, teaching isn't listed. So either Paul said, I'm not going to mention teaching, or I'm going to mention teaching, but I'm going to use terms that, that maybe you're not familiar with. So, so either he decided, I'm going to leave it out of this list only, or I, I understand teaching, to fall, I understand the utterance of knowledge and utterance of wisdom to fall under teaching. I also understand those as a reference to teaching because of the way that Paul associates wisdom. So think about 1 Corinthians, the, the message uh, of, of the gospel, right? right wisdom right, it is associated Paul. So, so wisdom is not how the world understands, but, but it's as the apostles. They, they speak wisdom, and, and wisdom is associated with, with the, the events of the gospel, explaining the gospel earlier in 1 Corinthians. And so wisdom, I think here, would, would, would be in context a, an explanation of the gospel. That, that is the message of wisdom that Paul has talked about in 1 Corinthians earlier. And then knowledge, right? Knowledge and teaching later in 1 Corinthians 14, knowledge and teaching are, are, are the same. So teaching conveys knowledge. And so those are, those are closely associated, just like prophecy and revelation are closely related. So, so I think here, Paul understands utterance of knowledge to be just a subset of teaching. You're, you're communicating. And so the first gift in our list is teaching, which, which would simply be understood as the spiritual gift of, of, of teaching, not, not broadly like math or science, but teaching that is directly related to, to Scripture, to, to explaining or expounding Scripture, and doing so to, to help others benefit, to learn and to ultimately know God through his revealed word, helping others understand the Bible. And so this is a spiritual gift. Some people just can't do it. And it doesn't mean you're less of a Christian. It just means you're not gifted. And it should be noted that, that this gift ought to be present in every pastor or elder. In fact, that's one of the qualifications for pastor elders is ability to teach. And so teaching ought to be in some extent present in every pastor. So if you think I'm bad at teaching, you ought to tell me. If I'm functioning in the wrong, wrong way, I need to know that for your good and for my good. But, but so teaching, and, and our church is filled with good teachers, those who can explain the Bible, the, the, those who can, can, can take, take a child and, and explain the, the deep things of God to a, a child or someone who can explain the, 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 the depths to, to someone who is a deep thinker. We, God has gifted our church with men and women like this. Second gift here would be faith. Now, this, this spiritual gift is obviously different than saving faith. Right? It would make sense for Paul to understand saving faith as a spiritual gift. Yeah, it is a gift of the Spirit, right? But it's not a spiritual gift in this context. And it's not a gift that builds up the body in the, in the context that, that we're talking here. So this gift probably refers to an abnormal amount of faith in terms of believing and trusting someone who just knows God's gonna come through. Now, I believe it. I, I, you think about the... Um, the, prayer, the prayer of faith in James 5, right? James talks about the prayer of faith. Now that, that could be what's at work here or think about the, the biblical category of, of faith that moves mountains. And he says there seems to be that there's, there's, there's those who are gifted with, with an abnormal amount or an unusual amount of faith. And it's not fake. It's, it's a genuine, legitimate spiritual gift. And that, those individuals are gifts to the church, Next gift here, healings and miracles. I, I'm combining these, healings and miracles. Both of these gifts were mentioned in the first two lists from 1 Corinthians 12, and there's certainly overlap uh, between healings and miracles. That's why I've kind of combined them together. 
It's hard to, hard to understand a really substantial or clear difference. Um, so, so these gifts, as, as we read the accounts of the early church, Acts 2, these gifts were clearly present in, the, in, in these accounts. Right? And they certainly seem to be present as Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. In fact, why would he list these if these weren't functioning and operating as Paul's writing to the Christians there? So, so they're, they're operating. People have this gift. And so whether it's healing blindness or disease or whether it's casting out a demon, Right, well, whatever it is, this gift clearly refers to an ability to supernaturally heal or to perform a miracle. Now, we'll, we'll say more about this in coming weeks, um, but that's, that's where we'll leave that one. Next gift, distinguishing spirits. And so this, the ability to distinguish between spirits. So you think about Paul in, in the book of Acts when they get to Philippi and there's that, that, that girl who has a spirit and she's saying good things about Paul and Barnabas saying, hey, these are, these are messengers of Jesus. They, they, you need to listen to them and Paul casts out the demon, right? She's giving him free publicity but, but Paul knows that this is an evil spirit. He could discern between the spirit and so he knows this is not a good, this is an evil spirit and he cast out. He could distinguish between the spirits or think of 1 John 4, where John calls the church to discern or, or some translations say test the spirits. Why are you going to test them? Why are you going to try and discern to see, he writes, whether they are from God? He continues, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So discerning the spirits has to do, at least in 1 John 4, specifically with false teaching. Discerning the spirits is being able to recognize the difference between what's true and what are, what's false. Specifically as it relates, relates to doctrine, to teaching. And, and this gift, I mean, what a, what a gift to build up or edify the church by protecting it from falsehood, right? Falsehood, when it spreads within the church, when it's not guarded against, when, when spirits aren't discerned, when, when evil spirits take root, it wreaks havoc in the body. And so the spirit gives men and women the ability to d- distinguish between, to know this is, this is wrong. And we need those people. So next week, we have helping Helping under this gift uh, included is, is service. And so helping in service, kind of, kind of the same idea here. And th- this is certainly one of the most practical gifts. And, and if you think about helping or, or service, th- this includes numerous outworkings. And so this is almost a fill in the blank. How do you, how do you, how do you build up the body? How do you love others? Well, well anything that, that you can do for that could almost fall under this helping or the service. In fact, one commentator says no church would ever run effectively without the gift of service or helping. I mean, I think about the function of deacons. Deacons are servants of the church, the lead servants of the church. And so deacons should be gifted with this spiritual gift. They should be servants. And so a self-centered deacon is an oxymoron. Deacons are to serve for the good of the body. They're to offer their their service as, as benefiting the church. But it's not limited to deacons. Lots of people have this gift in one sense, helping and serving is actually required of every Christian. We'll see this in a several, several more of the gifts. And so, so you can't tell me, sorry, I can't serve pastor because it's not my spiritual gift. Right? And I'd say, no, wait a minute. If you're a Christian, you are to serve. And, and we have a need, so you ought to serve. Uh, maybe you won't enjoy it, but you have to serve as a Christian. Um, but, but so helping, serving, this is a broad, a general gift that Paul lists here. Next, we have administration which is found in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now, depending on what translation you have, maybe you've ever heard administration. Some translations translate that, that Greek word guidance. And even the King James translates, translates the, the, the word that the ESV translates administration as governments. 
Okay, and so all three of those English words are used to convey the idea behind this original Greek word. And so in understanding the gift of administration, when you consider the other terms that are used, administration, guidance, or government, the idea is not so much a focus on admin as we think about it, but instead this conveys the idea of leadership or guidance. So this word in Proverbs is used as, as having guidance and guiding with wisdom. And so this gift would be present in, in leaders in the church. They have the gift to lead. Certainly this would hope to be, you'd hope this would be present in the, the pastors, the elders, but, but any key leaders who can lead and help shape the direction of the church. This is a gift given administration, leading, guidance for the good of the church. Next we have exhortation. This is also known as the gift of encouragement. The, the one who has this gift is someone who urges others, encourages them, and, and specifically is encouraging them in, in their Christian faith, in their, their life, in their, their Christian life. It's not just someone who's encouraging generally, but someone who uses their gift of encouragement or exhortation for the building up of the church. Someone who says, hey, hold fast to Jesus. I know life has been hard. I know things are really hard, but, but keep pressing on. It's worth it. So someone who uses the, this gift of encouragement or exhortation to, to call people to holiness, to righteousness, to, to lives of faith. And so if you think about someone who's always encouraging you to grow as a Christian, to, to pursue godliness, that person probably has the gift of exhortation or someone who you know, I hope they don't find out about what I just did because I know they're gonna, they're gonna rebuke me, right? That's someone who's gonna exhort and say, we're not okay with, with the status quo. That's not okay. You're called to something better, and so, so this is a gift that God gives the church. Then we have giving. Giving, this like, like service or helping gift, it's part of the general responsibility for all Christians. Right? Think about God loves a cheerful giver. So every Christian is called to, to be generous in, in, in giving. But here, as we're talking about the spiritual gift of contributing or of giving, this seems to be an, ab, an ability to be generous in abnormal ways. And so, so this is the person who loves to be generous. Someone who loves when, when they, they're made aware of a need, they love to, to meet that need with what they have. Even what they don't have, they, they want to, to gather people around to meet the needs. It's not the person who says, yeah, you can, you can use it, but you better give it back. I need it next week. Or it's not the person who says, hey, you can use it, but if you break it, you buy it. Right? That, that's not someone who's gifted with a spiritual gift of generosity or of giving. The Christian whose spiritual gift is generosity doesn't resent not being paid back. Who doesn't resent when, when the tool's still in the neighbor's garage? The Christian who's, who's gifted in this way doesn't, doesn't resent having not received a benefit or recognition for their generosity. They don't care. They, they're generous because they love being able to be generous. And the benefit is, is expressing this generosity. And God blesses his church with men and women like this. Next gift, the gift of mercy. Right, so so th this would be those who have a gift with, or, or those with this gift have a special capacity to minister to those who are hurting. And so it's the person who, who sees the, the pain in the life of, of a fellow human and, and who's moved with, with mercy, with compassion. They, they want to show mercy. And again, while this is true to some extent for every Christian, we ought, we ought to be filled with these. Those with this gift of mercy excel in their desire to meet the needs of the hurting, to care for those in pain. I mean, I think about the, the many volunteers, not, not the staff, but the volunteers of, of the Peninsula Rescue Mission, or, or those who volunteer at CareNet, or I think about foster parents. 
Now, Christians who, who see vulnerable people, who see needs, and they are moved to show mercy. That, that is a gift that God gives for, to men and women, members of his body, to, to care for the body. Next, and then this last one we'll, we'll cover here, we have evangelism. And again, I know I sound like a broken record, but every Christian is called to evangelism. Every Christian is called to be able to give an answer for the hope that we have within us. And so that's what First Peter would tell us. And Paul calls Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. And so the pastor has a call to do the work of an evangelist in some sense. And so every Christian ought to be able to evangelize. Maybe, maybe that should be your homework. Go home and, and share the gospel with yourself in a mirror and see if you can do it. I mean, don't record it, don't put it on TikTok, just record it and see what, what would I say? How would I share the gospel? Right? We all, as Christians, it, it, part of what it means to be a Christian is to have received and believed the good news. I ought to be able to explain that to someone else. And so that, that's true to some extent for every Christian, but those with the gift of evangelism are those who excel in doing so. And I know people like this. They're, they're those who seem to be able to, to have any conversation at any time, anywhere with anyone, and in a matter of moments, have that conversation directed towards a sharing of the gospel. And that is a gift. And those people drive you crazy. Because you think, why can't I do that? God gives individuals, men and women, the gift of evangelism. And, and, and it shows itself. Those who seem to be able to, to convey the gospel in winsome ways, in convincing ways, in loving ways. I have friends who are missionaries who I can say pretty clearly, he has the gift of evangelism. He loves doing it. I remember in seminary, I would hate driving home with him because every rest stop, he's like, hey, take this New Testament. Let's go see if we can share the gospel with someone. It's like, oh, okay. Right? He loved doing it and he was encouraging me to do that. He is gifted with the gift of evangelism. And so those are, those are the, the gifts listed there kind of to, to help us get, get a broad picture, but it leaves, with, leaves us with, with three remaining gifts. And as we look at those, we're gonna to transition to the second point, the limits of gifts. Okay, so, so we're gonna transition in the middle of our list to the limits of gifts, and we're gonna do that because I believe that the three remaining gifts, and so that's the apostles, the gift of prophecy or prophets, in tongues, and with tongues I'll do the interpretation of tongues, I believe those gifts are limited or were limited in terms of their purpose and function. In other words, I believe that some of the gifts that were active in the days of the New Testament are no longer active or needed today. Now I wanna be as clear as possible under this point and I want to lay out carefully, biblically, why I think that's the case, because that, this is a very controversial issue. And so I want to be as careful and as thoughtful and as biblical as possible, which is why we're not going to look at this point today. Okay, we're going to skip right over point two. Right, and Lord willing, we're going to come back to this in a couple weeks. Now, now you should be glad, because a couple years ago, I would have just, I just plowed right through this. And I said, I don't care how long we're here, we're going through this, right? But, but I, I think I've grown. And so we're just going to put this on the side, and we'll come back to this because I think it's worth taking time and laying out why I think that because I do think the Bible teaches that. That's why here at our church, we, we don't have people in our corporate worship standing up to speak in tongues and someone else standing up to, to interpret the tongues, right? That is part of what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. We don't do that here now. We're either being unbiblical or things are different. And so you'll see why I think that we're biblical, but that things are different, Lord willing, in, in several weeks. 
Okay, so we're gonna skip right over in record time our second point. Okay, we're gonna go right to point three, the pursuit and use of gifts. And so I just wanna end practically. How can you know and use your spiritual gifts? Remember, that's what I want you to be thinking about. And I wanna reiterate what I said earlier. It's not rocket science. You don't have to have this special knowledge even know. You don't have to have a spiritual gift of special knowledge to know what your spiritual gift is, which is what's conveyed sometimes. Like you, ha- you have these whole uh, inventories. They have to take, it's a 20-page inventory that you have to answer. And then, then you know, here's your gift. And then I remember as a, as a teenager taking them and then hearing what my gift is and thinking, I don't like that. Did I do it wrong or am I stuck with this for the rest of my life? I answered the way that I probably would want people to think. I didn't answer accurately. Let me go back through and see if I can change my gift, right? It's, just, it's this, this confusing process, and, and that doesn't have to be the case. There's nothing complicated here. Remember my, my three steps. Recognize your gifts, consider how to serve the church with those gifts, then pursue those avenues of service. And so I just went to practically, as, as your final points of application, just, just comment on those three steps. Recognize your gifts, step one. Recognize your gifts. Now, this is something that you can do on your own, right? So ask yourself, what do you enjoy doing? What do you think you're good at? What, what natural gifts do you have? But just beware that determine, determining your spiritual gifts on your own can also be a bit misleading, right? So, so don't only consider yourself on your own, right? We all know the person who thinks they're a great singer, but then they, they get on national television at, at an audition for American Idol and the whole world laughs at them because they're a terrible singer. But for some reason, they thought they could sing. Now, it's heartbreaking to watch that. I mean, there's the, the, the gift of mercy. Like, you feel bad for that person in the world laughing at them. But I mention that because sometimes we can fall in the same trap when it comes to spiritual gifts. You, you may think you are great with kids. Or you may think, I have the gift of mercy. Or I am a great teacher. You may think, I'm called to be a missionary. I'm called to be a full-time pastor. You may think those things, and you may be right. But you ought to know that you may also be wrong. I went to seminary with lots of guys who thought they were called to be pastors, and they are not called to be pastors. They were wrong. And so in recognizing our gifts in this first step, don't be afraid to heed the counsel of others. Trust others, trust those who know you well, trust brothers and sisters as they, as they encourage you to pursue something or maybe they, they try and redirect you to serve somewhere else. What one commentator says, quote, the Lord calls upon us to assess our gifts realistically. And to, re- to assess them realistically, here is where other people can help us. Our gifts don't just reflect what we think about ourselves. Other members of the body of Christ can and must help us discern and confirm the gifts in our lives. And so lean on the counsel of others. Humble yourselves and and listen. And and this also, it should be noted, requires a level of honesty among members of the body. Would you be bold enough or do you have the kinds of relationships where you could lovingly challenge someone and say, I don't think this is your gift, brother. Have you considered this ministry? Or, sister, I, I appreciate your heart, but, but maybe there's another need in the church that you could serve. Do, are you bold enough? Do you have relationships where you could say those things? Remember, when it comes to spiritual gifts, the edification of the church is at hand. So we ought to be concerned with helping each other find our function, which might require lovingly challenging someone or lovingly encouraging someone. And so what are your gifts? What are your talents? Maybe in light of all the gifts that we looked at, in light of what others have told you about yourself, in light of what you know about yourself, what are your gifts? That's step one, recognize your gifts. Maybe, maybe spend some time this week and just, just make a list. What are they? 
And then once you've identified those, we have step two, consider. Consider, how can I use this, whatever it is, or these, whatever they are, how can I use these to build up the church? How can I plug that gift, myself, and my gift into the life of this church? And so for some, for some, some of you, there's going to be ministries that you could jump right into, you just haven't. Whether it's deacon ministry, or nursery ministry, or teaching Sunday school, or kids ministry, or, or fellowship, or singing Some of you, there's gifts that you have that that you know exactly how you should pursue that. And if that's your gift, and and if that's a way that you can use it to serve the the church, you ought to do it. But maybe, maybe there's a ministry that currently exists that fits your gifts and passions. That's the case sometimes. And if that's the case for you, as you consider and as as you try and think about as you consider where you might you serve, if you don't see a place, instead of thinking, well, this isn't the place for me, I better go find a church where I can plug in. Instead, I would encourage you to think of in terms of this body just doesn't know what body part we're missing. And it's your job to tell us what part we're missing and show us how that part ought to function. You see how that's a different take on the, the same issue? Instead of saying, oh, I can't serve here, there's not a place for me here. Instead say, I'm here, God's gifted me, so, so let me help this body by, by functioning in the way that God's gifted me. And so, so as a pastor of a church, a ministry mindset that, that I'm committed to, that I've had, that I long for a church to have is that God places specific members with specific gifts in specific churches for specific purposes, right? God places specific members with specific gifts in specific churches for specific purposes. So because life and church membership is this fluid thing, so also I think ought to be the structures of the church, the ministries of the church, and so I'm not, I'm not committed to a, a set in stone ministry paradigm saying, okay, we always have to have a men's ministry. If we don't have a member who's passionate about men's ministry, we're not going to have a men's ministry because what happens is if you have this set in stone ministry paradigm, you put people, you plug people in places that they're not gifted to serve and they're frustrated and they burn out and they are, and they don't benefit and the body doesn't benefit. And so instead of asking someone to function in a way that they're not gifted, we as a church ought to ask, okay, well, maybe you don't need a men's ministry right now. Okay, God hasn't given us someone to lead this. So we're just going to recognize that as God's providence. Maybe he'll bring someone. But, but we ought to hold loosely to these ministry paradigms. The ministries of the church, instead of being set in stone, ought to be fluid and depend on specific members that make up the body at that particular time. And so if you recognize your gifts and passage, you don't see a place for them here, don't be discouraged. Instead, do the hard work of thinking about how your gifts could function here. What would it look like for you to function at Fox Hill Road Baptist Church using those particular gifts? And, and I'm here to help you. That's part of my job as a pastor is to equip you for ministry, to help you, to, to unleash you. And so I want to do that. I want to be better at doing that. And I want you to, to trust me. And I want you to come with me. If you have ideas and visions, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to squash what God may be doing. And that's because God has given gifts for the good of his church. And you, Christian, have been gifted in specific ways. And one of the worst things that you could do is to try and fit into a place or function in a role that you're not gifted for. And so, so, can, so, so recognize your gifts. Consider how you might serve. But once you recognize your gifts, once you consider some ways that that those gifts might be able to be used, the final step is simply pursue those avenues. 
Pursue those avenues of service. The final step is simply pursue. Do it. Get busy. Get your hands dirty. Start doing something. Now remember, I, I, back I read earlier, Romans 12, 6. Here, here's a phrase here. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, imperative, let us use them. Right? So that's what Paul, that's the imperative. We, we have gifts of grace given to us. So Paul says, let us use them. This is step three. Start getting busy. The reality is that you've been given a gift of grace by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of using it in the context of a local church, in the context of the body of Christ. And so steps one and two are useless if you don't put them into action, if you don't pursue the use of the gift. And so focus on your gift and start edifying the body. Don't worry about the gifts that you don't have. Focus on your gift. Use the gift you've been given. Not everyone is gifted the same way. No one is meant to do it all. It's not how the body works. There's a variety of gifts, but, but you have one and you ought to begin aiming to function in the body with that gift. And here's the good news about this strategy. Here's why I, I would market this as the fail-proof plan for discovering or uncovering your spiritual gift. When you get to step three, when you start serving and functioning and pursuing these avenues, if, if you've gotten it wrong and if you've misdiagnosed your gift, it's gonna become pretty clear, both to you and to others you're serving alongside. And it'll be clear, this is not your gift. And it's fail-proof because then all you have to do is go back to gift one or step one. Okay, what, what am I gifted in? And then you try again and you go and you serve and you serve and oh, this isn't my gift either. But, but the whole time you're, you're aiming to build up the body and serve and you're just, it's just this trial and error until eventually you'll find this is what I'm gifted for. And when you find your function, you're able to joyfully serve the body and you, and you, you build the body up and you are satisfied and you're filled with joy at how you're serving the body. And you're serving the body and you're loving others, which, remember, is the, the entire point of the spiritual gifts. And so there's no need to be worried or anxious about determining your gift. In fact, if, if these three steps are too complicated for you, the abridged version of my book on finding your spiritual gifts would be one step. Serve now. Just serve. Just start functioning in the body for the good of the body. And the chances are you'll find your spot. You'll probably find yourself using your gifts without even knowing what your gifts are. You'll love serving. You'll love participating in the life of the church, which is okay if you don't know what your specific, specific gift, gift is because if you're loving others and building up the body, you are functioning with your gift even if you don't know what it is. And so I just want to close. Here, here's a piece of advice from, from a theologian named John Frame. And, and this is, I'll end with this quote. And this is how in, in his systematic theology in his section on spiritual gifts, he answers the question, how do you discover your spiritual gifts? And here's what he says. I think this, is, this, think this is wise advice. He says, pray that God will make them evident to you. Then test out your abilities in different areas until you find in what ways you can make the best contribution. Ask other believers to help you. Their perspective will add much to your own. And so all the dynamics of, of how Frame says to find your gifts are, are things we've talked about. Pray, God, make the gifts evident to me. Then begin testing out your abilities in different contexts until you find the ways that this actually serves the church. And then ask others to help you. So pray and test and ask. And so, so my prayer for us is that we all, as individually gifted members, might, might pursue building up the body and loving one another for his namesake here at this church. Well, let me pray as we close this morning.